When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. If you're a senior citizen right now, every single bill you face is gone. The surge in prices of crude oil and other commodities that resulted from Russia's invasion of Ukraine is creating additional upward pressure. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. The president believes billionaires should pay their fair share so we can invest in our economic future and cut the deficit. It is incredibly important for them to point out the hypocrisy on the other side. Oh, Republicans care about the deficit. Don't count yourself out. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Wall Street tumbles on worries over Washington. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as economic policy and the Fed's fight against inflation spook the financial markets and leave the White House reeling today. Coming up, a special conversation with Barry Riddles of Riddles Wealth Management, the host of Bloomberg's Masters of Business on the complicated relationship between Wall Street and Washington will be here in just a moment. Later, Megan Green, Global Chief Economist at Kroll, Senior Fellow at Harvard Kennedy School, on this conversation with a lot to unwind today. Our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano, joined by Amy Tarkanian, Republican strategist, former chair of the Nevada State GOP. Way to set the table for Barry Riddles, who's with us right now. Barry, thank you for being here. We're typically talking with members of Congress or folks from the White House on this program, but we needed something a little bit different today. And I'm not going to ask you to say things are going to be all right. Well, they but will, this, but you, or, you Okay, ask. you can say that. This level of fear, though, from Washington to where you are on Wall Street calls, calls for something a little bit different today. Somebody with a little bit of distance from our capital is our thought. So, Barry, welcome. Is this fear deserved? So, <laughs> it's a wonderful question. And it really depends on how your portfolio is allocated. When we look at the average drawdown of the S&P 500 in any given year, uh, over the past near century, it's been about 14%, 13.6%, which is pretty much where we were in the beginning of this week. It was a pretty average drawdown. But fear levels, sentiment levels are very, very negative. Fear levels are high. In fact, the the... American Association of Individual Investors notched its highest uh, fear levels as of Friday, last week, 
uh, since the great financial crisis, since mm. uh, 2009. And wow. the reason for that, it's not because the Dow was off 10% or the S&P 500 was off 14% or even the NASDAQ was off 22%, right? These mm -hmm. are all pretty run-of-the-mill correction type numbers. When you look at the high flyers, when you look at the tech growth stocks, when you look at the pandemic-related work-from-home stocks, everything from Teladoc to Peloton to Netflix mm. to, and a bunch of other high flyers like uh, Tesla, yep. um, they're down 60, 70, 80%. They've gotten wow. really, really shellacked. And the folks who are relatively new to the market who had nothing to do when sports were canceled and opened up Robinhood <laughs> accounts. they never seen anything like this. Uh, well, you know, all that cash rushing into the market helped r send prices higher. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, as things start to reopen and the world m begins to return to normal, I, I, I certainly can't say everything is remotely normal uh, across whether you're looking at the economy or, or uh, the stock market. Things aren't quite back to pre-pandemic levels, yeah. but... You know, people are going out to movies, so they're not, and they're going out to restaurants, and, and they're going on vacation, and they're traveling. Uh, they're going to the gym. So so a lot of the darlings from 2020, mm -hmm. um, they've all gotten really shellacked. That doesn't sound like uh, an economy headed for a recession when you talk about everybody breaking out and, and getting back to life and spending and traveling. But even Janet Yellen sounded unsure about a soft landing this week. Where are you on that? Um. You know, to me, trying to predict how successful the Fed will be is, is sort of a fool's errand. I, I will make two points that I think are useful for listeners. The first is that as much as everybody is wringing their hands over inflation, this kind of inflation that we've been experiencing for the past year has not been caused by very low Federal Reserve rates. What have they been caused by? Well, first, you had a multi-trillion dollar stimulus in the CARES Act 1, then a second CARES Act 2, yeah. then a third CARES Act. We haven't even begun to really feel the impact of the infrastructure bill. So massive monetary stimulus. Compare that to the financial crisis, almost none. It was, it was modest. Yes. Okay. Um, and, and in both instances, the Fed was very accommodating on the monetary side. So they stayed at zero way too long after 0809. And they probably stayed at zero too long after the pandemic. Yeah. And so what we've been seeing with this increase in rates is the Fed saying, okay, we're going to get off zero. We're going to remove all this excess accommodation. But I think deep down inside, Jerome Powell thinks, well, this isn't going to do diddly squat about inflation. <laughs> it's not going to get chips to cars any faster. Ooh, it's it's not, not going to clear up the, the backlog of ships in Long Beach, and it's certainly not going to do anything about energy prices so long as there's a, a shooting war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. But let's let's get off zero and see if we can start moving things back to normal, back to neutral. All right, you're really driving in the direction I wanted to go here because, you know, we're all about seeking blame here in Washington, Barry. And how much <laughs> of this inflation was an unavoidable result of a pandemic is a matter of great debate here. It's something that I talked about with Republican Congressman French Hill uh, I want you to listen to what he said, and I would love for you to respond. I do, I do, because uh, when you combine uh, that kind of fiscal stimulus concentrated in 2020 with the bipartisan COVID relief money, plus what he added in 2021, you combine that with zero interest rates and $120 billion of bond buying monthly by the Fed, you, don't have, you can't invent a more 
stimulative, demand-focused, and this is why Larry Summers and others, economists, were warning the Biden administration that they were playing with fire. Okay, so Barry, with that in mind, so he says the COVID spending had a lot to do with creating this problem. How about if there was no relief spending? We just let people get COVID and go on with their lives. We still would have had a major shift in demand for goods, right? Everybody clicking at Absolutely. home. We still would have had supply chain problems. So there Probably. still would have been inflation, right? So so he's half right. I, I'll, I'll give him partial correctness. Um, so we're, we're essentially a service-driven economy, 61% services, 39% goods. Mm-hmm. During the pandemic, that practically inverted because... Yeah. You know, you're not traveling, you're not going to restaurants, you're not going to theater, you're staying home, you're, you're just adding a family stuff. room, you're buying yeah. TVs, blah, blah, blah. So, so there's some of that. And, and there's been a giant demand surge that took place. Mm-hmm. How much of that you want to blame on the, the fiscal stimulus um, is subject to debate. Some of it for sure, for sure. But... Where that line in the sand is is really challenging because, yeah. remember, we had suddenly we went from almost full employment to 15% unemployment, and those folks are can't go to work. They're not getting a paycheck. For, for many of them, they weren't even getting unemployment. Mm-hmm. So if there wasn't um, a trillion dollars in, in um, relief issued, what would have happened? You, you would have literally had a massive problem of people not paying their rent not being able to buy but i've had our recession right then yeah. right all, all so 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 was what was the final so the first cares act was march 2020 and the uh-huh. second cares act was september 2020 uh both under uh president trump and the third cares act was i think april or march 2021 under president biden and we're really just at the leading edge of this the um, infrastructure bill. That's yes, right. just starting to find its way out. So I, I, I can't really blame that. Um, but, you know, when you look at... So it's a lot things, more complicated than just pointing at the White House, obviously, here, this one or the last. Right, you, uh, right. Pe- just, people have been blaming is. Biden and Trump, and you really have to stop and say the alternative would have been a depression, right? Yeah. And I'll take a little bit of inflation... Which, uh, you know, I don't have to forecast inflation, but gun to the head, we're probably past peak inflation. And by the fourth quarter, we should see a four-handle, maybe even a three-handle on CPI. It's going to feel a lot different when that happens. Right. And, and, you know— The other side of this inflation question, by the way, is what happens to the consumer, Barry? Somehow still spending, despite the prices. And I I talked about that yesterday with Heather Boucher at the White House— uh, and, and here's what she said. I'd love for you to, to listen and respond. Well, you know, household balance sheets are in, in relatively good shape because families were kept whole during the crisis and because we brought the unemployment rate down. So, you know, those 7.9 million folks that have a job now that didn't when Joe Biden took office, mm-hmm. those folks are all out there earning a living and they're spending that money. They're doing what Americans do. We're going to get a jobs report tomorrow, Barry. We're going to be looking for wage inflation, I can only assume. But how long can this continue? in our remaining couple of minutes here before people start thinking twice about spending and travel and the so-called demand destruction actually begins. So, so let, let's address two issues there. The first is I, I, I'm not all upset about uh, wage inflation, especially at the low end, yeah. because we've had 30 years of lagging wages in the bottom quartile this is what the uh, president of the economy. In, in fact, we've enjoyed deflation because the bottom quarter 
really just they lagged inflation they lagged productivity they lagged, lagged corporate profits they lagged certainly lagged executive suite comp so this was a big catch-up and i look at that more as a a reset than an ongoing 5, 10, 15 percent mm-hmm. push to inflation. So we, we've sort of stair-stepped our way up here, yeah, however sure. belatedly. I've just got a minute to warn you, by the way, so, so you can finish your thought. So that said, you know, I am never going to bet against the American consumer. The mm-hmm. countryside is littered with the bodies of economists who made that <laughs> forecast and lived to rue the day. Uh, and now when I look at... The state of American households is as good as it's ever been. Corporate balance sheets are fine. The The cost of carrying the federal debt has ticked up a bit, mm-hmm. but it's still historically low. It would have to take higher and more sustained inflation okay. uh, to, set, to, to derail that. Now, that said... Who knows what happens with random things, the war in Ukraine. Yeah, and so many more layers. Barry Riddles, thank you so much. I haven't talked to Barry Riddles since I was down the dial at POTUS on Satellite Radio. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for being with us on the fastest hour in politics. With the headline on the terminal, stagflation fear fuels big stock reversal as post-Fed cheer ends. How do you like that? We're talking stagflation now on top of it. And after our conversation with Barry Riddles, we continue with Megan Green. Global Chief Economist at Kroll, Senior Fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School. Megan, this was quite a day. And as we normally spend time here rounding up voices inside the Beltway, we're taking a slightly different view on things and really looking at the policies in Washington impacting the action that we're seeing on Wall Street. And one of the biggest concerns right now is falling into a a world of stagflation, uh, which is probably not a great trade for the inflation we're feeling right now. Megan, what's your prognosis on this economy is the fear deserved. Yeah, so the risk has obviously risen, um, particularly as as the Fed has gotten more hawkish. I think the risk of stagflation is much lower in the U.S. than it is in Europe, for example, um, where uh, growth is fundamentally much lower and inflation is rising. Um, in the U.S., you know, we had a negative GDP print for the first quarter, um, but that headline figure really masked a lot of underlying strengths, particularly among consumers and business investment. Um, So, you know, final purchases um, domestically actually accelerated in the first quarter from the last quarter of of last year. Um, 
consumption was fairly strong given Omicron was was spreading in January and February of this year. Yeah. Uh, business investment was pretty strong. And so I'm actually not worried about going into a downturn anytime soon. I feel like this this obsession with a recession really kicked off when the yield well, curve inverted for 23 seconds. And I just don't <laughs> give that much. Well, but historically, it, the Fed does not have a great record uh, when when they're ending a tightening cycle here. I mean, do you have faith in the Fed pulling off a soft landing? It sounds like you do. No, look, I think the Fed is stuck with an impossible task. They're trying to thread a needle while wearing oven mitts blindfolded effectively. Um, so I, I don't think that the Fed will manage to engineer a soft landing, mainly because the last three times the Fed actually did pull off a soft landing, unemployment was much higher at the start of the rate hiking cycle. Now unemployment is incredibly low. And the best indicator of a recession that there is is an uptick in unemployment. And so I don't see the Fed being able to, to hike aggressively without unemployment employment ticking up. That being said, there are 11 and a half open, a million openings in the U.S. economy. That's a lot. We're a long way off from seeing unemployment tick up, I think. Yeah. Okay. What's your expectation for the jobs report tomorrow? Is it going to be a big number and everyone freaks out because it also shows wages rising? So I think it will be a big number by historical um, context, but, but a smaller number than used to seeing. So the consensus, I think, is 380,000 new jobs. That's a lot, historically speaking, but it's less than we've become accustomed to seeing. I think, you know, more importantly, unemployment is probably going to tick down even further. And crucially, I think the participation rate will tick up as workers jump back into the labor force as Mm -hmm. the pandemic becomes more endemic and people burn through the financial cushions that they got from stimulus measures. Well, look, if the White House is getting blame and Democrats at large blame for policies that have brought us here to this inflationary cycle, would those policies also deserve credit for keeping the job market intact and getting those jobs back after COVID? Absolutely. Uh, You know, I think it was those policies that have helped the labor market heal so quickly. Um, And you can see that if you compare the U.S. labor market with Europe's labor market, for example. Um, But also, I think, you know, we've closed our output gap. Growth is already back on a pre-pandemic trend. That's not the case in the the rest of the developed world. And that's partly thanks to the stimulus measures um, that we had after the, the pandemic hit. So it may be driving inflation higher, but it also has caused our economy to heal a whole lot faster. So this is the problem we're in, right? I mean, you can't win this argument. You either let the thing go off a cliff, I guess, after COVID or let the job market do what it was going to do. There clearly would have been a downturn at that point and we would have not had inflation or you could have spent what appears to have been a lot of money. And, and the question is, was it too much to keep consumers going to keep people afloat until the pandemic receded? Uh, my goodness, I'm not sure most Americans would be able to choose between one or the other. Yeah, and I actually don't think it's that simple. I think there's been a lot of bad luck involved. So I don't actually think our inflation is entirely demand driven. I think a huge piece of it is supply side effects. And that includes, you know, China locking down because of their there's zero COVID policy, which we could do nothing about. It includes Russia invading Ukraine and causing supply chain disruptions, which we could do nothing about. I really think the Fed almost pulled this off at the end of last year as we saw global supply chains starting to improve. We saw the labor market, the labor supply issues we have in the U.S. also starting to abate. Um, But then at the beginning of this year, we had Omicron spread in China. We had Russia invade Ukraine. And that's just more supply side shocks. I actually think inflation is still transitory, but transitory is going to last a really long time, given these consistent 
supply side shocks that we keep having that are that are elevating prices and driving inflation sure. higher. Yeah. Where's inflation by the uh, the end of this year as we're walking into the midterms in November uh, quickly, Megan, do you see us back to four percent or or is that a dream right now? No, I do see us back at 4%. I don't see us lower than that, though. And 4% is still pretty high by the Fed standards, right? They're looking for average inflation of 2%. So above the Fed's target, but certainly lower than where we are now. Well, it's sounding lately like 4% is the new 2%. I'm not sure about that, Megan, but thank you for the insights. And good to speak with Megan Green, uh, Global Chief Economist at Kroll, also a senior fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School, as we connect the dots between policy, politics, and, of course, Wall Street today. We'll assemble the panel next. Jeannie is with us, along with Amy Tarkanian, coming up on Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Traders spooked by labor costs, productivity decline. As I read on the terminal, Wall Street staggers with vicious $1.3 trillion stock sell-off. How about that for a headline? And as we were discussing with Barry Riddles, and again, with Megan, this is an interesting conversation that doesn't always go the same in Washington as it does on Wall Street. As Megan Green said, the, the causes of inflation, and Barry echoed this, would have been in place with or without the stimulus spending, the CARES Act and all the rest that follow COVID. The question is how much? And that's where we start with Jeannie Shanzano with us, joined today by Amy Tarkanian, as I told you, Republican strategist, and former chair of the Nevada State GOP, of course, Jeannie with us as part of the Sound On family here as our Democratic analyst. It's great to have you both here. Jeannie, I don't know if you have a real take on this, but this is we're really getting down to the matter here is the Biden administration is blamed. And in some cases, the Trump administration for fanning the flames of inflation because of the stimulus spending that helped us recover from covid. I guess the question just comes down to very simply, did we spend too much? Yeah, and it was fascinating listening to Barry and Megan and your discussion with both of them because I felt almost like maybe the sell-off today would have been a little bit less dramatic had people listened to these conversations because in both cases, they kept saying the sky is not falling. You know, Barry was talking about normalcy, as yeah. normal as you can talk about it in the context of recovering from a pandemic. Megan was talking about the underlying strength and not being terribly worried about, about a recession and this obsession with a recession, which is a great phrase. So, you know, that all that said, though, that message is not enough to get out, obviously, onto Wall Street or in the minds of the American public. You look at the latest polls, something like in the latest CNN poll, almost 90 percent of Americans say the news they're hearing about the economy is bad. And that pretty much explains why everybody is concerned and spooks, essentially. What's your take on this, Amy? Uh, we do a lot of blame game here in Washington, D.C., but it, it's starting to become a lot more complicated than pointing a finger at a single source, isn't it? Sure, yes. And I think, you know, for for years now, you know, both sides are, are pretty guilty at overspending um, and we need to be able to to rein that in. And I know I hear Republicans, at least on, on my side, um, you know, time and time again, saying that we need to rein in the spending. But yes, we have been guilty as well. Um, now, for what we're dealing with currently, I think that this administration has only exacerbated the problem and that dealing with such uh, things such as stimulus, such as the American Recovery uh, you know, Act, the, the CARES Act, because we had all of this money that was just 
being pumped into the economy um, all at once, it it's it's not uh, sustainable. And so now we're all paying the price and um, people are not going back to work like we had anticipated or yeah. else are going back to the same jobs. Um, and we're, we're not seeing the growth like we had anticipated. And I agree though with, with the other, with the other panelists that, um, I think we need to maybe not give in to the doom and gloom and into so okay. much of the fear tactics. Did we spend too much though? Was there too much stimulus, Amy? Yes, definitely too much stimulus. And that was a problem of this current administration. So it's a problem there and the fed not starting fast enough. Is that, is that your feel? Oh, a hundred percent. And then, and then with Jerome Powell coming out the the federal chair um, the other day, and then saying, "Okay, now we're going to be, you know, raising interest rates by by half right. percent, and then we're going to be increasing again here in the near future." Yes, that's why the panic is setting in because he waited too late. It took seventy five off the table, though, Jeannie. What what do people want? If you want to have a, an economy that's growing enough. To get interest rates off a of zero, they've got to do some kind of a move, right? They, they, he, I thought he eliminated our worst fears. Yeah, they, they do have to do a move. Um, and I, I also am sensitive to the fact that there is an argument to be made that both the administration and the Fed weren't listening to the discussion about or the calls about regarding inflation. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, could they have moved faster? You know, we can look back and say, yes, you know, in all likelihood, given where we are now, that would have assisted. But I think on this question of, you know, whether Donald Trump or Joe Biden, both or one, is to blame. I, I do think we have to be cognizant that, you know, it had been 100 years since the country had been in the a pandemic, and we had a, a shutdown of the economy that was unprecedented in the modern era. The United States has recovered from that in much stronger shape than any of us predicted one or two years ago, and much better than many other parts of the world. So if there is some, you know, uh, some bright light here, it is those, ki- it is those kinds of comparisons. Can we do better? Absolutely. Yeah. But that, those are the, that's the reality. So, Jamie, how, uh, how important is this jobs report going to be tomorrow for Joe Biden? He's going to come out and say something about this. There's 45 numbers in, in one of these reports, and some of them are going to be good. Probably job growth, right? Payrolls. There's a lot of worry about some of the underlying data, though. How does this play for the White House tomorrow? You know, I think he's got to come out and, and it's going to be tough for, for Joe Biden because he keeps talking about these good job numbers and hopefully mm-hmm. tomorrow is, is fairly positive. But he's also got to talk about the fact that every time we go and spend money, we are seeing inflation. And he's got to keep on that message that the White House is doing all it can to address that pain. You know, we're looking at polling out from all kinds of areas that the economic numbers the American public are feeling have, are the worst that we've seen in more than a decade decade or two in terms of how they feel. And it's the feeling that impacts the politics. Jeannie Shanzano and Amy Tarkanian, our panel today on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we head for another big story here. I'm assuming it's going to be an interesting morning for Marty Walsh tomorrow. But on Capitol Hill today, it was Roe v. Wade they were talking about. There's going to be a vote next week in the Senate and some passionate Remarks today from Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. We're going to talk about this and the strategy from the White House next. This is Bloomberg. 
Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Another day with protesters out in front of the Supreme Court following the leak, the big leak this week of the draft opinion and what appears to be a looming decision by the court to invalidate Roe v. Wade. Dueling protesters, as you can hear. This has been going on all day, every day since this dropped on Monday. They have put the fence back up around the Capitol. The security is intense around the Supreme Court itself, as you might suspect. Democrats latch on to roll, roll back with Senate control in balance. I read a great column from Laura Litvin on the terminal with the prospect of this Supreme Court ruling resetting many election messages. And, of course, it's got Democrats at work, certainly in the Senate. Chuck Schumer, the majority leader, says it will happen next week. This is about to change. Next week, the U.S. Senate is going to vote on legislation to codify a woman's right to seek an abortion into federal law. I intend to file cloture on this vital legislation Monday, which would set up a vote for Wednesday. Republicans will have two choices. They can own the destruction of women's rights, or they can reverse course and work to prevent the damage. He was joined by several other uh, Democrats, including uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand of New York, who got to the podium and spoke passionately about not just this impending ruling, But the lying, as she calls it, and Schumer called it that as well. The leader called it that on the floor. The lying that the justices, when they were nominees, conducted in front of their confirmation hearings. Listen to Kirsten Gillibrand. It's a lie, and we've never had fraudulent testimony in the Supreme Court before. Standing behind Chuck Schumer. To have justices commit fraud during hearings. So if you want to talk about process, I would focus on that process. She got to the podium and really got into this. Everybody else backed off as Senator Gillibrand made the point. It is an outrage that we have five justices on the Supreme Court who lied, lied in their confirmation hearings in order to be confirmed. It is an outrage that in America today that our judicial system is so corrupted and so politicized and no longer representative of the will of the people. Five justices said they respect precedents. 
Five said that Roe v. Wade was established precedence. Five said they would never undermine established precedent. It is unconscionable what this decision will do to the American people. But does it matter, first of all, did they lie? And does it matter if they did? I think the conversations we've had over the last few days suggest that, well, it doesn't. They're not going to be held in contempt of Congress. This is what we have here now. And so we reassemble the panel. Jeannie, of course, back with us, our Democratic analyst and Bloomberg politics contributor, Jeannie Shanzano, alongside Amy Tarkanian today, Republican strategist and former chair of the Nevada State GOP. Uh, Jeannie, that gives you a sense of what the debates are going to sound like when we get into the general election, doesn't it? It does. And we are already seeing um, this on the ground, as you mentioned, particularly at the level of the state gubernatorial races, at the attorney generals, because, of course, if this decision and this draft becomes a decision, that is where the decision will lie at the state level. So we see gubernatorial candidates, AG candidates addressing it. We also see congressional candidates addressing it. We saw a candidate for the for the Wisconsin state who Senate, who, you know, Wisconsin, of course, has trigger laws. We already saw her come out and attack Ron Johnson on abortion. Ads are starting to come out. And so many Democrats saying that this is going to be the big issue of the midterm. But of course, the flip side of that is others who say, nope, it is always the economy, always inflation that remains number one. And that's what I think we're going to have to wait and see where voters land on this. Well, that's absolutely right. Uh, It's certainly going to be a motivator, uh, Amy. I think that we can agree. I don't know if it motivates Democrats more than Republicans, but that's the conventional wisdom uh, right now. I wonder what you think of, of the, 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 the different ways that the parties have responded to this, though. Republicans really have not been weighing in on the substance of what this ruling appears to be. They've been talking about the leaks, right? This is, we're going to get to the bottom of this, an attack on the independence of the court. Chuck Schumer was asked about that today. Listen to his response. Well, the Supreme Court's, the Supreme Court's looking into that, but to compare a leak to taking away the rights of over 100 million women and saying the leak is more important Give me a break. Forget it. Amy, is the league more important? Well, you know, just I don't mean this to sound callous, but but it is slightly more important. And because this sets the precedent then for any anything else in, in the future that, you know, other Supreme Court justices may want to um, overturn or make some other decisions on. Um, and I think that it is incredibly um concerning that there was a leak now whether if the leak was on this topic or any other topic i i do believe that this is not only ethically and morally wrong but it is it done intentionally and it will do uh forever damage in our faith in the system unfortunately and the fact that this was leaked Yes, 100%. But then I think it's even worse now if you want to go ahead and get into the actual topic of abortion and dealing with the unborn and dealing with women having to make these excruciating choices. Uh, You know, this this is this is an area where I think we need to be incredibly sensitive, whether if you're pro-life or pro-choice. And the fact that this leaked out the way that it did is just so wrong. And I hope that they find the person that did this and well, hold okay. them accountable. And I think everyone agrees uh, on that. What What about the looming debate here and, and the way this is going to influence the messaging on the campaign trail going into the midterms, Amy? Is this mm-hmm. going to be the, the single issue that brings people 
to the polls? Are Republicans going to have an argument? Um, I think their argument is uh, going to um, rally their base to some extent. However, in the end, uh, your pocketbook is uh, not Democrat or Republican. If you can't pay your bills, if you can't put gas in your tank, if you can't feed your children and clothe your children, then you have a a lot of other problems than what, uh, what another female may or may not decide to do with their body at this moment. And I know that sounds callous, but it is true. Well, I have to be honest. I think if, if anyone uh, suggesting the leak is, is worse than the ruling. And I realize that you're a Republican strategist and you have convictions on this, Amy, may also sound callous to some of our listeners. Well, you know, if, if you really want to, you know, I mean, you could probably pick a poll, any poll at this point. I've seen a half dozen of them where no matter your party affiliation, I would say that anywhere from the low 50s to the high 60 percentile of uh, folks who actually believe that there should be abortion available up until 15 weeks. Mm -hmm. Now, the argument is, you know, should we have that just across the board, all 50 states, or just take it back to the states? And that's exactly what they're doing, because this ruling um, in 1973, a lot of people will tell you that it was vague and that this was legislation from the bench. So that's why we're dealing with it the way that we are today. Well, that's true. But when when Gorsuch uh, and Kavanaugh in particular were, were, were in their own testimony in their confirmation hearings, they also made clear that this was the, the, the settled law of the land, that this was precedent. Does it bother you that, that, this has, uh, that this is sounding a lot different now than it did when they were speaking to lawmakers about getting confirmed? Well, you know, I don't recall exactly what what their terminology we just played them all on the air if they did well if they did say those exact words and they were going to stick to it then yes of course that's concerning um if uh if they were following like what i just um told you about others insinuating that this from the get-go this ruling from the get-go was legislating from the bench rather than interpreting uh then yes we have a problem and maybe And maybe that's why they're making the choice they are now to this day. But I think we also need to be careful because it's not misinformation, which is accidental. This is disinformation where the left is actually pushing uh, by trying to damage the right and saying that they're taking away their rights and their freedoms and that abortion will be gone uh, completely, which is not the case. It's just going back to the people of the state. Understood. But it will be gone for for uh, for women who don't have the money or resources to travel. Uh, which is which is um, well, an issue here, Jeannie. We've seen actually some companies start to step up now. Some major Wall Street firms are considering this idea of giving travel allowances uh, to workers for this. And Senator Marco Rubio is putting forth legislation that would prevent them from deducting that, making that a tax deduction. This is really coming down uh, to splitting hairs here into some sort of micro legislation, Jeannie. It is. And, you know, Guttmacher said, you know, about 22 to 26 states will likely, once if this uh, decision comes through, have a ban uh, uh, on abortion, mm-hmm. um, many of those in, in those trigger laws. And, of course, that does raise questions about are we going to be seeing, you know, women uh, restricted from traveling, for instance, or people restricted from helping women to travel to another state to seek an abortion? So, you know, those are all things that we're going to be dealing with. And, and you know, we also just want to be clear when we're talking about this issue 
that, you know, we this has been over 50 years, as we all know. So we don't really know what the impact of this is going to be in a political what? sense as we look at the midterm. Is that and, bill going to pass next week without Susan Collins, Jeannie? No, the bill likely won't pass. But what it does do, importantly, yeah. is it does tell us who stands where and allows the American people to hold people accountable. Senators will be counted next week. We'll talk about it here. You know that on the fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg.